It is August 6th, 2017, and you're listening to the Landscape Photography Podcast. As always, thank you guys so much for tuning into this episode. Thanks to you guys, the podcast is growing. Every time you guys go out and leave a positive review on iTunes or Stitcher, it helps us reach a larger audience. So if you haven't done that already, please consider doing it. Those of you that have left a review, thank you for all of the kind words. So in this episode, I'm talking with Brent Bergherm from the Latitude podcast, as well as BrentRentsLenses.com. And in this episode, we're talking about photographing the solar eclipse. Those of you that haven't heard, the solar eclipse is coming. The solar eclipse is coming. (laughs) And photographing the solar eclipse takes a lot of preparation and planning. And in this episode, we're talking about some of that part of photographing the eclipse. At the time of releasing this episode, I'm actually teaching a private workshop throughout the Pacific Northwest. If you are interested in doing a workshop with me, you can go over to my website, which is nickpagephotography.com and sign up and check out all the different workshops I have there. Currently on the menu, we have 2018 in the Palouse, which is where I live. And in 2017, we have one spot left for my Kauai workshop that I lead with Majid Badazadigan. And if you're interested in any of that, go over to nickpagephotography.com. All right, enough with the commercial. <laughs> Let's get on to the episode where I talk with Brent from Brent Rents Lenses about photographing the solar eclipse. So for those of us in North America, the solar eclipse is coming and all of us are very excited to go out and photograph it. A lot of us don't have a clue how to. So so to help me talk about this, we have Brent. Thanks for coming on, Brent. Thanks, Nick, for having me. Brent is also a podcaster, as I've already mentioned. One of the episodes that I've heard you do was all about the solar eclipse, and you had a bunch of really cool information about that. And I want to steal your brain and steal (laughs) your information because um, I really don't know uh, what to expect when it comes to the eclipse. Yeah, I first started talking about this something like six months ago or so, long before most other folks were really uh, mentioning it, and then um, did a full dedicated podcast on Phototaco. It's just one of these events that everyone now is Mm -hmm. just producing so much information. And so I've been doing some research about it. And there's just so many more, way more convenient tools and way more uh, wonderful pieces of information that we'll be able to go through to direct photographers to. So they can make the best decisions for themselves as how they want to shoot it and uh, equip themselves with the right tools. Although one problem that we're going to have, if you don't have yourself a, a solar filter purchased yet, you might be out of luck. So uh, yeah. hopefully you can still find uh, a solar filter if you haven't purchased one yet. It's pretty crazy. Just the number of people that are making massive plans and, and planning around this solar eclipse. I live in southeastern Washington state, which is not too far from, you know, central Oregon, where a lot mm-hmm. of people are going to be traveling. And what's funny is like 10 months ago, I would go down into the tiny little towns like Mitchell, Oregon, which is close to the Painted Hills. And they've already got coffee cups and they've been booked out for like two years. Oh, yeah. It's absolutely. I was looking forward to potentially making a road trip out towards Nebraska because it's going to go right over a place called Scott's Bluff. Part of Nebraska is just a huge plain and it then just has this bluff area that's, I don't know, several hundred feet, like 700 feet high. You can drive up on top of it. And that would be such a fantastic place to go shoot it. And I was looking at it. 
everything was booked, you know, a a year in advance or more. And I was like, well, (laughs) obviously someone's been planning it more than me. So (laughs) what we'll probably try and do is maybe talk a little bit about what I might plan for myself as I'm hoping to be able to go out and shoot. And I don't have any reservations. I don't live in a town. I'm like you. I live in Southeast Washington. I don't live in a town that is going to be right in the path. Although I did find a fantastic tool, this website called timeanddate.com. That tool will allow you to put in your your uh, zip code or your town, and it'll show you a little a little graphic of exactly how uh, how much of the eclipse is actually going to happen in your area. So if it's a partial eclipse, it'll show you, you know, oh, it's going to look like this where you're at at the maximum uh, rate. So I thought, well, that is really cool to be able to to guide people towards there, and and maybe it's still going to be okay where they live because you know me, I live a little bit further south than you. I started thinking, well, shoot. It might be nice to just go out in my backyard and just shoot it from here. I'm not going to get totality, but I'll get something really, really close. But then I thought, you know, I really want to see totality. Yeah. I want that coronal disc that just glows from the the central uh, shade that is the moon. And just I, I want to be able to go do that. So I'm going to start doing some research on where to go uh, and how to get there. We're going to be throwing around some terms like totality. And basically that means like a perfect solar eclipse where you get a nice round blackout of the center of the sun, and then you just see the outside of the sun. If you're not in that perfect path of where the, the solar eclipse is going to happen, you're only going to see like, you know, a crescent of the sun rather than that perfect disc. So that's what we're talking about when we say totality. Uh, when you're planning this, you have to basically, you need to look up one of the many maps that are floating around on the internet that will show the path of the solar eclipse. And typically that map is going to look like this diagonal line across the United States where it's going to have the center of the line, you'll get totality. And then outside of that line, you start getting into these gray areas where you might get totality, but just not for quite as long. And then as you get further away from that, then you're just getting a crescent. And so step one for planning an eclipse photo shoot is to look at that map and figure out, okay, if I, if you're going to go, where are you going to go? If you're in the same part of the, of the country that we're in, uh, where you're planning on going to Oregon or possibly in Idaho, the totality where it's into where you are in total shade will only last about a minute and 40 seconds, a minute, 50 seconds, somewhere in there. Yeah. So you don't have very long when for that shade that shadow of the moon to to totally cover you so you don't have much time to work if you're in the midwest or towards the south like tennessee area that's where you have the maximum totality and that's going to be about uh two minutes and 46 seconds i think i was reading was the the maximum time that you'll have but that's for our, our friends way down in the uh, southern part of the country. Right. So, so if, you, if you're really diehard, you can travel for like, you know, 10 hours yeah. and, and gain yourself 40 seconds. of totality. There you go. That's right. One thing to also think about is just the accessibility, whether it's uh, highways and freeways or forest service yeah. roads. You know, that's the kind of thing where you probably need a, a really detailed map if you're looking for service roads. And I would point people towards the photo pills app because they just, I don't know, maybe a week ago or so, possibly a little bit longer ago, they updated it with a little tool that shows you the exact path and will help you plan for everything regarding this uh, this eclipse. And they show you the center line. They show you the, the range. It's about a 70 mile width where you can experience the totality. It's just the closer you get to the edge, the less time that you will experience yeah. that totality. Yeah. And so they've done a, a fantastic job of making that work out. And then they have this augmented reality thing that will help you 
you know, plan and say, okay, it's going to be here. You can help frame up your shot. And it's just, just absolutely wonderful tools that they have created for photographers. They also have an ebook that you can download. Uh, I posted a link to that because they're in, they're having, um, they're inviting people to just share this ebook. And so they go in such grave detail. It is 119 pages long. Holy cow. And it's just this ebook that is easily printable if you wanted to do that. There's so many about every, you know, even about capturing the partial eclipse. So for those of us who are not able to travel to that pathway, uh, they have great detail on, on how to photograph the partial eclipse. And so that's definitely a good resource to look up. And I've heard that when the totality happens, it's it's going to get fairly dark. Like, you know, like yeah. I've seen I've seen videos of movies. That's the only place I've ever seen a solar eclipse is in a movie. Right. Right. But typically when the solar eclipse happens, it, it gets like blue hour, late sunset kind of dark, right? Correct. Yeah. And so you're going to have this odd looking sun in the sky because the, the disc of this shade is there. And then you have the coronal mass ejecting out of it. And I was also reading a quick note on that coronal mass. There's about a, a 12 stop dynamic range within that coronal mass. So as you're shooting, uh, shooting raw and bracket, if you're getting really close to that anyway, yeah. if you're zooming in with a, with a telephoto lens, uh, bracket it because uh, you'll get some detail going further out that you may not see on your live view screen or through the viewfinder if you're doing that. Uh, but that is going to be something that could be really interesting to uh, just maximize right. capturing those details. And so that that brings into question, like, how are how are people planning on photographing this? Like you. You only have a minute and a half, no pressure. <laughs> so, right. so uh, you you kind of have to be very premeditated with what exactly <clears throat> your plan is to do. Um, I I have taken a very interesting gig for this particular solar eclipse. I sold I sold my day, and All right. uh, and I'm actually doing a portrait session during the eclipse. It's going to be an anniversary where it happens to be their anniversary. And they thought, awesome. how cool would that be to have like really epic portraits under a solar eclipse? So, you know, I charged a premium rate because this is, I'm giving up pretty much a once in a lifetime experience to do you this. Bet. So I'm charging them for that because I really wanted to photograph the eclipse. So I'm going to be like incorporating a portrait session with this. So I'm going to be bringing in lighting and, and stuff like that. And That's I'm not going to, I'm not going to have the opportunity to zoom and weigh in with my 600 millimeter lens. Like I had really planned, but that's, that's something that most people are going to have to decide for themselves is how many cameras are you going to shoot with? Are you going right. to set up a couple? Are you going to do like the super telephoto where you're just like trying to fill the frame with the sun or are you going to do like put it in a landscape? The mm -hmm. challenge with putting it in that landscape is the fact that it's going to be very high in the sky. Unfortunately, that's this right. isn't, this isn't going to be happening around sunset, which would be even more epic. That would be amazing. Yeah, right. But, you know, in our part of the world, it's going to be happening around 11 o'clock, right? I forget exactly what time. It's between 10 and 11 o'clock. And so it will range between, I think it was 40 degrees up and 56 degrees up is what I was reading, depending on where you are in the country. So that's just, you know, countrywide numbers. So yeah, getting a landscape, you know, you're going to want to shoot wide angle and you're going to probably want to shoot it in vertical uh, format so that you can capture that sun in there in the frame. Mm -hmm. But then you also, you got to think too, to make an interesting landscape, well, hopefully you're going to have an interesting foreground. So where could you go, you know, try and find yourself a location that's an interesting foreground. Uh, what I personally plan to do 
is if possible, I'm going to see about bringing a total of three cameras. One will be mounted on my gimbal head because that it's uh, very sturdy uh, and very easy to, to move that around. It's not just like a ball head, but you very nicely weighted yeah. and balanced. And then I'll have my zoom lens on that with my ADD and I'll just be able to almost fill a frame, not really, but almost fill a frame because once that coronal mass starts showing, uh, it really starts to fill the frame then. And so that'll be for the zoom in shot. I can set the intervalometer and just get a series of shots. I hope to also be able to set up on another tripod, a camera that will just capture it over time. Right. From the very beginnings of the eclipse to where it's just a little bit taken out of the sun to the very end, that's going to be a little bit over two hours. And so this is going to take a while for that moon to, to cross over the, the face of the sun. So I'm hoping to be able to uh, have a, a camera that's just rock solid on a tripod. And every 15 minutes or so, I'll go over and click it. Or I'll just set the intervalometer on that one. The challenge with that, a, and I, I know that you've already thought about this, but that's going to be a huge dynamic range between that shot where you're, the, the moon is just barely starting to cover the, the sun. And right. when it's co- uh, at totality, that's going to be a huge brightness difference. <clears throat> So, right. So you got to really pay attention to your to your exposure, especially when you reach totality. And if you're using a filter, pull it off at totality. But for something like that wide angle, I'm not even concerned about using a filter because I capture right. the sun in my images all the time wide angle. It's no problem. So I'm really not concerned about that. But getting a bracketed shot just so I can make sure I get a nice, yep. even though it's going to be tiny, 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 like three pixels wide, maybe. I'll get a nice, uh, nice rendition there. And that's what I'm going to be looking for. Then I'll have another camera to where I can just run around and be at the most, um, most flexible. Yeah. I might be in an area where I'm surrounded with people and I'm just going to shoot whatever I have available to me. It might be a rock on the ground and that's it. <laughs> it could be a molehill, but it, it will be, be the hill. most epic gopher hole you've ever seen in your life. Exactly right. So what, whatever it is, I'm going to be prepared for hopefully mentally prepared isn't be the biggest thing. So I don't get all, you know, yeah. I just have this one dead tree that's lying on the ground. I'll make something out of that. I'll, I'll lay down next to it. I'll focus stack it. I don't, we'll, we'll figure something out. It's mm-hmm. whatever I have available to me. I'm going to try and be as flexible as possible. So that'd be a maximum of three cameras with a preference on the first and the last that I mentioned the, you know, I may not have, I may not be in an area where I can set up that one camera to grab that whole two hours or so worth of transition. So, you know, if I don't get that, I don't get that. But uh, also with the, the direction it's going to be traveling, uh, I may miss out on some of that as well, but I do have the 11 to 24. So if I put that on full frame at 11 millimeters, I'm capturing everything. Yeah. Uh, I could also do it on my eight to 15 where I get 180 degree view. So again, that could be really interesting you to where a, a solar eclipse dot. <laughs> yes. Yeah, so it's going to seriously be a dot, but I would have full 360 degree view all the way around it. And then that thing is just transitioning across and then blend those together in Photoshop. That might be pretty cool. So, so, you know, the options are available and I'm looking forward to um, looking forward to being able to do this. Possibly I should say, so long as these lenses don't rent out, I'm talking about them and, and people are saying, Oh, I want to do that. Um, (laughs) If they don't rent out and I still have uh, my lenses to shoot, then yeah, that's, that's what I would end up doing. Yeah, that's the downside with your current situation is you can pretty much rent away all of your available <laughs> gear and then you'll just be like, well, I guess I'm going to shoot 
you know, my cell phone. (laughs) Yep. So my particular plans, I'm going out with a couple and I'm going to be doing lots of portraits. I'm going to be doing a mix of natural light and some strobe stuff. I'm going to have an assistant helping me with light. And my challenge is going to be, I want the sun to be large enough to have an impact in the photo. Right. But in order to do that, I have to get my couple elevated well above me and I have to be down low. And I don't want to commit to a location because I'm lucky enough to live in Southeastern Washington where I can drive for four hours and be at totality or three hours even. Yeah. More like three. Yeah. And I'm going to be judging where I go based on weather and I'm going to be looking at the weather predictions the day before, and I'm not going to give them a location until the day before. And I'm going to be like, okay, meet me in this town in in Southeastern Washington or Oregon or Idaho. And I'm going to decide last minute because I don't want to risk driving into clouds for, for the eclipse. I'm not really going to have an opportunity to shoot with multiple cameras. I think I'm going to probably have a camera doing a time lapse in the general area of the solar eclipse just so I can have that because th- right. it'll drive me nuts to not be able to have that. <laughs> <clears throat> and then and then I'm going to be using my other camera for my portrait session. It <sighs> Charging a premium for such a quick event is such a scary thing because you know if you fail to get the shot brent you know all that happens is you're going to be down on yourself if right. i fail to get the shot you know i could go to court you, know, you well, might be refunding some money or otherwise yeah, exactly. exactly you know so um a little bit of pressure involved mm-hmm. and i mm-hmm. so i i want to make sure that i'm going somewhere with clear skies and i need to find not only am i going to somewhere with clear skies but i need to go somewhere where i've scouted a location that i will be able to get them elevated and will not be completely inundated with humans now that's something right. that we haven't that's the talked other challenge about. right that is something that we haven't talked about yet is that in that path all of humanity is going to congregate in that path. And they are predicting all kinds of just massive traffic jams in all of these areas oh, that yes. are not used to getting this kind of traffic. It's going to be absolutely insane. So if you are one of those people that is thinking, well, I'm going to go to my local, you know, this icon that is right, right in the path. It's going to be absolutely absurd. The amount of people that will be there. They'll be turning people away from iconic locations. One of those locations, I wouldn't say is iconic, but one of those locations uh, that's close to Boise, Idaho is Weezer. It's right in the path, very close to the center line. Their population, I just looked it up, uh, last year was at 5,300, almost 5,400 population. They're planning on over 30,000 people yeah. descending on Weezer. You know, and you think 30,000, oh, that's, you know, whatever. That's a small city, a very, very small city. Right, but, but in a town it's a small with no city. services, that's exactly. a big deal. There, there's not going to be bathrooms for everybody. There there's will, not going to be gas. There's not going to be anything. That's the first of your problems. There's just going to be, it's just 30,000 people descending and you know they're going to show up at five in the morning because they all want the good spot. And then they're going to just hang out. And it's just what, you know, what's going to go on? And then all these other locations where the uh, interstates are popping through, uh, people are probably going to find, like you say, bathrooms. Uh, we were driving back from visiting my folks and there's a spot there right with uh, a fantastic uh, rest area. And I was telling my wife's like, that would be a great spot to park it. <laughs> 
<laughs> Why not? Yeah. Uh, their, their limit of 12 hours uh, at your Oregon State uh, rest areas, no problem. You show up in time. And I would say just plan to nap afterwards because the traffic is going to be terrible getting out of there. Yep. So yeah, these these different things, and and so I'm probably myself looking for a a, a place that's way out on a forest service road. Yep, that's exactly what I'm going to look at. Is still going to be people, still going to be traffic, but hopefully a little bit less, and it won't hopefully be so bad. But some of the other uh, other tools I want to draw people to that I've found to be really helpful for just envisioning uh, Great American Eclipse. If you haven't come across that yet, it's a fantastic website. They have lots of great maps, and as you drill down, you might find some that are very helpful. Uh, still not as interactive, let's say, as the PhotoPills app, but definitely uh, PhotoPills, again, if that's something you want to pay for, it is $10 uh, to pay for that app. Uh, there's a safety thing. NASA, just search for eye safety during solar eclipses. Mm-hmm. And so this is one thing I also wanted to mention, too. They Everyone's talking about, as you're shooting the solar eclipse, you must use a solar filter. Well, that's not something I'm going to be preaching against by any means, but they're always, they're always talking about, you know, looking through the lens as you're shooting. And I'm thinking to myself, I'm going to be doing live view myself. Yeah, exactly. Now for you doing a portrait, of course, if I were doing that, I would not use live view. I don't think for just doing my regular shooting, totally. I'm going to protect my eyes and not even look through it. And if my camera happens to get damaged, then so be it. Now that doesn't mean I'm not using a filter again. Uh, that's not what I'm saying. It's just my eye isn't going to even be going up to the up to the viewfinder. So that's not going to be a problem if the filter falls off or whatever. Just not going to be a problem. I won't be going blind. A lot of us landscape photographers, we shoot into the sun all of the time. Right. The difference comes depending on your focal length. So if you're shooting into the sun with a 16 millimeter lens, that sun is just a tiny little dot in your frame. And it's only hitting, you know, it's only putting so much energy into your sensor. But if you point a 600 millimeter lens at the sun, that's a whole lot more light and a whole lot more energy hitting your sensor because you're magnifying, you know, the size and the power of that sun. That's right. Um, Now, the difference comes when if you're doing it, when the the eclipse is just starting to happen, that sun is going to have a whole lot of strength, a whole lot of power. And that's when you can damage your eyes or Mm -hmm. potentially the, the sensor in your camera. But when totality happens, it's not going to be the direct sun. It's going to be the area around the sun. That's right. And that's that's no different than stuff that we photograph all the time. So at that point, you don't really yeah. have to worry so much about, you know, massive filters and everything like that. It's it's the before and the after that that damage can happen. That's correct. And certainly it's getting more and more as you as you uh, leave the totality and, and more and more the sun is coming together. Basically, uh, from what I was reading, uh, a rule of thumb is about a minute to a minute and a half before totality. That's when you can think to to start taking off the filter. Uh, and then maybe you can start to play with your exposure a little bit so you can get a, a better exposure. Yep. Uh, when you're when you're at totality, plan on a still having a fairly short exposure. And, I, you know, I don't mean short as in a hundredth of a second. I mean, short as in about a second or two. Because you're, you be are zooming dark. in, really. Okay. Well, well, you are zooming in at at 600 millimeters if you're on one of those lenses, and so I would say, you know, bring it down to one 200 ISO, whatever aperture you need, so you can have about a, a one to two second exposure. You're gonna get, um, you're gonna get some pretty good effect of that coronal mass, I mm-hmm. guess. But again, bracket, please do bracket, please do experiment. Also, another thing is that we, this whole situation that like 
putting on filters and pointing right at the sun. It is a recipe for lens flare big time. And not only just like little, like the colored lens flare, but like any kind of dust that you have on your front element or your filter is going to make it all so much worse. Mm -hmm. So take some extra time during, you know, this light once in a lifetime (laughs) event to make sure that your, your lenses are clean. Your filters are clean. You're starting off very, very clean. And that's going to minimize a lot of that lens flare. And take off any extra filters you have. Like maybe you've got a protective UV filter, yeah, whatever. Throw that take thing that away. off. Day before, it's throw it away. It's <laughs> going to just make it worse. Yep. Uh, you're going to have so much solar energy coming in. It's going to bounce between those those planes of those panes of glass. It's just going to make it worse, so, and it will degrade the quality of your image. Yep. So one last one I want to uh, draw people to, MrEclipse.com. Um, it's not the most friendly as far as uh, surfing it around. But I have a link on my Brent Bergram photo Facebook that I put up there. Uh, so find my page on that and then you can find all the links I'm talking about. And uh, of course, Nick, steal these links uh, and post them wherever you want to post them. But mysteryclipse.com slash Southeast photo uh, or SE photo, I should say, solar eclipse photo. That will actually give you uh, a great little uh, set of diagrams that shows you exactly how large your your sun disc if you want to call it that is going to be with a certain lens length Mm -hmm. so and it'll give you the exact millimeters also on sensor so uh you know for a certain lens length it's going to be this size for another lens length it's going to be that size now they don't have everything uh laid out but you can then kind of look at it and just gauge okay if i'm at 500 millimeters this is roughly what the size physical size of that sun is going to be and so that's a good uh, judge for how for deciding how you're going to shoot it and what lens you want to use. And I think a lot of you will be surprised at just how small that sun is going to be in your frame. Definitely. <laughs> because, you know, if you've ever photographed the moon, you've dealt with that same surprise. It is a very small thing that you're pointing your camera at. And even with a 600 millimeter lens on a full frame camera, you're filling up like a quarter of your frame, probably. Be prepared to use your longest focal length if you if that's the shot that you're going for. Uh, be prepared to crop a little bit probably going to have to yeah when you're at when you're at say they they give a little rendition here of say 400 millimeters it's so small (laughs) it's like an eighth or less of the frame but again with that coronal uh, ejection going on yeah about 400 to 600 is where you want to be i think Uh, if you have an extender certainly use the extender and and zoom in all the way but then if you're on that zoom lens pull it back so you can get that coronal uh, stuff going on during totality. And so that's a, that's another term that we've been throwing around a lot, the coronal mass ejection. So what we're talking yeah. about with that is when you block the bright part of the sun, all that's left are all of the gases escaping in every direction from the sun, the coronal yeah. mass ejections. That's the only time you can really see it is during eclipses because normally the the brightness of the sun just like blinds you and you can't see the other stuff. But the coronal mass ejections are really, really cool. You're going to need to bracket like he says, because it's going to be very dim by comparison of, you know, everything else. Make sure you bracket. And with a potential of 12 stops variance from the very closest part where the, the moon is to all the way out, there's a lot of range there. And it's probably going to reach further than you expected it to reach. Yep. Uh, you'll be able to see it further out than you expected it to reach. And it might change as well as the as the moon is moving across the sun. Things are going to change because there's different... Um, different mountains or different you know undulations on the surface of the moon and so just watch on how as the light is you know coming around and being refracted by the moon like that 
there's going to be changes. So you'll one shot isn't going to do it. You're going to want to just be yeah. rattling off, rattling off, mm-hmm. and you'll probably have 500 shots in that two minutes that you'll then select the two or three best that works for you. But definitely keep shooting during that, or keep your interval- intervalometer shooting during that as well, because that's going to that's going to help out. I think. Just think of the number of solar eclipse photos that you've seen, and sometimes there's that like little bright spot where. I think I'm thinking of planet earth where it's actually the earth in the, in the, in the way of the, of the sun. And when the sun just starts to come around, just kind of just after totality, you get that bright spot. And those are money. And those are good shots. Yeah. Um, it's a very bad time to blow out your highlights. So, <laughs> so make sure you have highlight alert on because the highlights really are what you're photographing. So you don't want to blow out your highlights, have highlight alert on for sure. And that's where I would say too, once you're done shooting the, the totality and that starts to happen, just start rocking your, your uh, shutter speed up like crazy uh, because that's going to get real bright real quick. And yep. then you're going to want to slap your filter on there. Once you slap your filter, you lose your coronal mass of you if you were to have that transition anyway so we've alluded to using filters what what kind of neutral density filters or solar filters like what strength are we talking that we're going to need yeah so the filters that you want to use are going to definitely be termed solar filters and those are different than neutral density because they do block out specific wavelengths of the uh, of the energy the light energy both in the um the infrared and the ultraviolet what's going to be important to think about though is the style or the type of filter and i'm actually trying to uh, look that up right now there's three main different types of filters so the cheapest one is going to be considered what we call a black polymer filter this is the it's a very thin plastic it's not as thin as the aluminized mylar but it's a very thin plastic and they sell these on amazon they cover your 400 they say your 100 to 400 millimeter lens uh and they sell them on amazon for 10 bucks so uh, it's not, uh, certainly not a bad thing, uh, as far as the price is concerned, but it does give your, your son a, a view. It looks yellowish. And as far as also the sharpness of it, it's decently sharp, but when I compared it to a standard and I, you know, don't do this at home type thing, a standard neutral density filter, that's 10 stops. Uh, definitely that neutral density at 10 stops, uh, was way sharper, uh, where I could actually see a couple of more sunspots on the sun. Cause I was just shooting the, the, the plain sun and with a black polymer, I could only see the larger sunspot on there. You know, you're focusing on when, when that ha- is happening, you're focusing on the disc of the sun, mm-hmm. uh, or I should say the disc of the moon coming across the sun and having a crescent shape that totally is working great. It looks beautiful. Uh, and you're going to take it off anyway. And then the next one would be a metal coated glass. This is more like a, a welder's mask type glass. Uh, the one that is uh, definitely sold out is made by Thousand Oaks Optical. I just looked them up this morning and um, all, all sizes totally sold out. Uh, those are a little more expensive. They're in the neighborhood of depending on what size you get, but they're going to average about $75 to $100. Right. And then your aluminized mylar, that's a very thin mylar. Uh, but you get really good results with that too, as far as just nice, sharp results. And like we were saying, you know, these, these are going to be the most important before and after totality. Once right. totality happens, you're going to be taking these filters off anyways. So right. if you were like me, and you didn't get a filter. It's not the end of the world because the money shot doesn't require a filter anyways. Right. That's right. And I would think too, um, even if you were to get a, se- a sequence 
of your people and you want that transitional uh, sequence going on up above them, that's something you're going to do in Photoshop anyway. You don't have to have them standing there for every single shot. And so it, it wouldn't be the end of the world to, you know, just go go along those lines and, and then, you know, prepare, of course, for removing yeah, that filter, I mean, really, get their I, shot. I could do my portrait session the day before and then just go photograph yeah. the eclipse and be like, yeah, we totally made that happen. No right, problem. exactly. And then exactly. I get to shoot both. That would be amazing. Oh, man. Yeah. yeah. Then they're just paying you for your Photoshop prowess instead of uh, <laughs> exactly. your actual time during it. Every day is the eclipse when, you, when you're good at Photoshop. <laughs> That's right. So, Brent, um, where what kind of cool stuff do you have coming up? Where can people find out more about you and your photography and, and awesome, workshops yeah. and stuff so i uh, am a travel outdoor photographer i just love traveling and planning for the next trip i do have a big trip coming up to croatia and people can follow me on facebook uh, instagram just search my name brent bergherm and you'll find me i've got a lens rental company brent lenses.com primarily it's canon gear but we're certainly putting some nikon gear into the inventory as well i ordered those um the sigma 14 f18 both in canon and nikon and um i've already gotten a notification that nikon is back ordered already so oh, wow. uh so i'm going to be delayed on, on getting that but just because of the back ordering you can also find me at my website brentbergherm.com where i'm gonna have um an email sign up or some more information because my trip to croatia if anyone's interested I'm looking to turn that into next year into a photo tour. Fantastically gorgeous area with the waterfalls of Plitvis Lakes. Dubrovnik is just amazing. Those are my those are my spots uh, that people can find me at uh, on the website, Facebook, Instagram. Those are my main things. And I've got a YouTube channel uh, for the lens company. I'm going to start actually one for my personal stuff uh, sometime later this summer. So people can find me on That's YouTube awesome. as well. That's awesome. And you, you're going to want to make sure that you check out his podcast, Latitude. Oh, thank you. <laughs> he does <laughs> How did it. I, that was in the back of my mind, but it, it didn't come out. <laughs> he he <laughs> does you. that with my, my good buddy, Brian McGuckin. It's yeah. a really, really cool show for those of you that enjoy travel photography, which I'm guessing might be a couple of you. Uh, yeah, we just interviewed uh, Doug K on uh, Travel to Cuba. And of good course, episode. there has been some changes, but still, it's Travel to Cuba would be fantastically awesome. So look that up. It's in the IP. Uh, improved photography feed uh, and you can find uh, latitude there amongst other items well thank you for coming on brent it's been a good talking to you appreciate you having me on all right thank you guys so much remember you can go over to our facebook group just do a search for landscape photography podcast and we'll see you in the next episode thanks so much mm-hmm.